0: Welcome to another episode of The Bonfires of Social Enterprise. This is Rami, and it's great to share another interview with you. You listeners have been so incredibly supportive. Thank you so much. So on this episode, you'll drop in on my conversation with Scott Tallinger of Left Handed Branded, You'll hear about how he began his left-handed fashion design, and this time we highlight a product. I'm excited about that because I miss that sometimes. And of course, we have another great song for you at the end of this episode for your listening pleasure. Now, as you will learn later in the interview, Scott has designed an incredibly functional bag that can be used both as a shoulder bag or a bicycle bag. This bag has some inspiration roots from the early versions of the saddlebag and some of the mail carriers. Let's see now what Jensen has to say about the saddlebag on his fun fuel for today.
1: Hey guys, this is Jensen with your fun fuel for this week's episode. Today I will be talking about the history of the saddlebag. The first saddlebag is believed to have been made by the Sarmatians in 365 AD. They were famous horsemen of that era who used horses in warfare and battle. Their saddle creation was then later brought to Europe by the Huns. The Europeans quickly realized that with a saddle, they were able to maintain a better balance and have more accuracy with their weapons while riding horses. Over the years, the saddle was continually developed, resulting in softer, more supple, and more durable hides, then eventually evolving into having pouches and storage spaces on the side to carry equipment. And that is how we came to have the saddlebags that are around today. That was all for this week's episode. Enjoy the show.
0: Thanks, Johnson. So let's get back to my conversation with Scott. Scott met me at a place called the Lafayette Market in Pontiac. We were just sitting out in the open chatting during the interview. You'll hear someone walk up during the interview and ask us if the music's too loud, and we just sort of left that in there, just because that's what happens. Also, I had to kind of wrap it up somewhat quickly because an entire group of bicyclists all piled in and I think we both became a little distracted because we know that this is Scott's exact potential customer. (laughs) So as you listen, please lean in to hear how Scott is already using two things to his advantage as he talks about his story in the company. He talks about being left-handed, which many would consider as a handicapped, especially in fashion design, and his design that evolves out of real functional needs. We'll come back to that later. Let's drop in now. Please meet Scott Tallinger.
2: Thank you, Robbie. I'm really happy to be on here, finally. I've been a listener for a while, so it's nice to be a guest.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I just learned that. I'm super excited about that. So you and I met at kind of a workshop series at the Detroit Garment Group, right? Because you're in that program, right?
2: Yeah. yeah, I've been part of the fashion incubator for almost 11 months now. Yeah. So it ends in October.
0: Yeah, October of 16. And some of you listeners may have heard another podcast in season one with Karen Bushimi of the Detroit Garment Group in Detroit Sewn. That was one of our more popular podcasts. We know a lot of our listeners are into fashion and garments, so we're super excited to have Scott on our show today. Scott, take us back. You've got a really cool name of your company called Left Handed Brand. Will you give us a peek inside of how the name came about and how your company came to be?
2: Yeah, I've been back in Michigan and Detroit for a little over two years, and... Before I moved, my business was called 35mm Designs, and I had a patent attorney in New York who found somebody, because I was finally gonna trademark my logo, and they found somebody with a similar name, and it was just gonna be a headache, and because I hadn't registered it, I just decided I'd change my name, and being left-handed has always been kind of, I don't know if it's a handicap, I mean, I love it, but it's just been a joke in the family, so I just named it after my dominant left hand. So yeah, left-handed branded was a result of how my brain works and how I use my left hand for everything creative. And that's not too loud. No, it's
0: perfect. Thank, Thank you. you. That was nice. The guy came up to, to ask if our music was too loud. I'm sure our listeners can still hear you. So like, just in case they didn't catch that last part. So it's your left hand was dominant. So you decided to run with an authentic part of you, right? Yep.
2: Yeah, we're a minority and an invisible minority, but. I just thought I would name it. I, I also have not been a big external brander my entire career, and I didn't want to use my name. It was, it's just something different, and it does roll off the tongue, Left-Handed Branded. I, I really like it, like the sound of it. So that was the thoughts behind the name.
0: And what did you start to make once you start? What was the vision of what you were going to start to create with under Left-Handed Brand then?
2: So I've always been into... I coined this term high function as opposed to high fashion. I'm inspired a lot by utility and function, so a lot of my bespoke customers, they either come to me because they can't find something on the market for whatever it is they do, or they have a unique body type that they have a difficult time buying off the rack. So, like I said, most of my clients, they come in and they leave with a pattern you know, that's made just specifically for them, and then if it's some, function or utility involved, then I kind of start with that angle more than fabrication and and things like that. So, And it's all been in the casual arena of fashion, casual sportswear and accessories. When I was 35mm designs, I was making a lot of stuff out of film, specifically 35mm film. And so at the time in New York, I was doing mostly accessories with a few clients for clothing sprinkled in there. But now I've been, since I moved back to Michigan, ironically, I've been doing more clothing And then the product we're here to talk about today is a new accessory for me.
0: How did you even consider getting into starting to make things, fashion, clothing, accessories? Was that always an interest for you, Scott?
2: When I went to college, I was 18, and I wanted to be a professional skateboarder at the time. (laughs) And so I wasn't really grooming myself for any career or any education focus. But it was through a screen printing class that I took that got me really interested in textiles and I just got bored of printing on t-shirts and started, I was always tall and thin and had to alter clothes anyway, so I started designing and then bought a one-way ticket to Los Angeles and went to fashion school.
0: Oh my gosh, so it started from a functional side way back then. You were altering your own clothes. (laughs) That's so
2: great. I loved, I had a lot of my first art classes, came in college as well, and I did have like even a, a functional aspect of art. It needed to be, I liked being involved in a process all the way through and fashion definitely allows you to do that. I don't know, it just fits the bill.
0: Well, that's great. I love this term, high functioning for you. So I know, and I've seen some of those other products that you did with that film, that's really cool. That's still on your website, is that still on your website? Let's talk about transition to what it's been like you've lived both in LA and New York and coming back to Detroit because there's so many questions there's sort of this burgeoning garment district while it's not official there's a lot of fashion and garment manufacturing production pieces starting to emerge here and everyone's finding each other but it's still relatively in its early stages compared to New York and LA. How has that transition been for you here?
2: It's really incredible because I was in New York for seven years and me back to about 10 years ago when i was living in detroit before just that time being gone so much has changed here and and it's actually (laughs) through your podcast i found all even more stuff that's happening here that gets me excited but yeah i had moved back and i was just kind of getting plugged back in seeing what like the timeline for applications for things and and what was going on and i heard about the detroit garment group and the fashion incubator and i applied for that and i was accepted Last fall, I was a vendor at the Eastern Market last summer, and I still pop up there from time to time this year. Yeah, it's just a total sea change from 10 years ago here. I mean, just that they're even talking about having a garment district here is is amazing. And and the people that I've met through the Detroit Garment Group and the Fashion Incubator, there's I don't leave my studio enough, I think, and so I think that I'm the only one doing this. And then you get out and you see that you know there is a legitimate fashion scene here now, and it's it's really exciting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's still a bit raw, but like you too, I think, gosh, you know, there's been a repurposing of some of the buildings. It's all sort of set up for manufacturing because of the audio industry. So some of it is pre-set up. And I also find that it's very collaborative. It can be, a, your industry can be super competitive and it maybe is by nature, but it's also really collaborative, I'm noticing with those of you who are emerging in the scene here.
2: Absolutely, and I, I, I just feel like so I know you've had Karen on, but Karen Bashemi and the Detroit Garment Group definitely introduced me to a lot of those people, but there just seems to be a legitimate interest. Like I said, I've been doing more, I thought I had a decent amount of clothing clients in New York, but it's been a lot more. Like the word of mouth, which is my main source of advertising, has just been incredible here. So there's yeah. definitely an interest and maybe it's because as much as I say that there's a lot of people doing it, but maybe I do have a unique angle that you know, coming from mm-hmm. the function and form, but it's been really good. It was a really good move to move back here, for sure. Yeah,
0: well that's good. Well, we're glad you're here. (laughs) Uh, And I love this high functioning thing. That always appeals to me. I'm always trying to have multiple purposes out of one product. You can ask my husband, I'm like, what else can we do with that if we bring it into our house? You know, we downsized into a really small space, and so now I'm all about what can go go gadget into other things. So let's transition to your cool new product. I really do wanna highlight that. We don't do that enough here on the podcast, highlight people's products, but I really wanna have a chance for the listeners to hear about the new Mula, right? right. Pronouncing that right? Okay. This is a really cool bag, and we're going to put a ton of pictures on the show notes here, and they'll be on his website. But, Scott, will you talk about the idea about this new product and all the ways it functions? Let's give it a really good commercial here.
2: (laughs) So, and just so you know, I do have a partner on this. His name is Jeremy Hall. This is one of my best friends, and he's a cyclist. We go back about 20 years from when I lived in Los Angeles, and we have both... Until I moved back to Michigan, I did get a car again, but like New York, bikes and skateboards have been my primary source of transportation and we've just felt that bikes are kind of the modern workhorse and they're definitely underutilized with their cargo carrying potential. So the Mula is actually a high-function, high-fashion, hands-free leather bag, there's a canvas and a denim version as well, hands-free bag that you can easily attach to your bicycle. So it's going to be, we hope, to revolutionize the saddlebag, pannier side of the biking business. Because even during the recession, you know, bike sales have just gone up. People are, they're calling it Detroit Bike City now instead of the Motor Mm -hmm. City. And even though it's not quite as exciting to ride in Detroit as it was in New York, I still ride my bike all the time. And I haven't lost a bike here in Detroit, and I lost three in New York. So (laughs) that that says something about Detroit too. (laughs)
0: Right. (laughs) Well, how does it work? You, so, I see you can
2: put it on your body
0: yeah. and your bag. Yeah, on so your the,
2: body. it's kind of modeled after the old munitions carrier on a horse. You wear it on your shoulder, it's symmetrical, so you can wear it on either shoulder. And then there's an armhole attachment so you can secure it to your body so nobody can flip it off of you. Mm-hmm. And if you only have one side of the bag loaded, then it stays stable. And then if you remove it, It doubles as a handle if you don't want to wear it on yourself. So then you can carry it more like a briefcase or a bag. And then we have a magnetic (laughs) attachment system that attaches to the bike rack. So it's super clean. There's not a lot of dangling straps and things. So yeah, we're really excited. And like I said, this is my introduction into leather. And so I'm traditionally a denim and canvas hemp sportswear fabric guy, and so we do have a denim version and we do have a canvas version, but we also have a luxury leather version as well.
0: Yeah, It's really beautiful. Thank you. When I first looked at it, I thought, wow, what a cool briefcase. It looks like a very high-end traveler's briefcase almost, but yet yeah, I can see all the functionality because I'm looking at it up here in person here, nice and close. It's really beautiful. It would appeal to both men and women.
2: Yeah, it's definitely unisex, and it's it's funny because we did a couple shoots around town, and we did one at the Eastern Market, and a lot of people were just coming up asking us about the bag, and when we told them that it went on a bike, you know, then it really blew their minds. But there seems to be an interest just as a standalone bag, just to wear it. It's a different style of bag, actually. We're not excluding, if you don't ride a bike, we're still interested in you.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's beautiful. And what is it retail for?
2: So, we have a Kickstarter campaign going right now, and they're actually listed as discounts right now because these are going to retail for close to $1200 but the Kickstarter prices there's still some early bird specials left everywhere from 450 to 595 will be the Kickstarter price and then the denim and the canvas will be half that 169 and 250 and there's still some early bird prices on those for 169 and 220 as well so there's still time the campaign runs until September 25th
0: Okay great That's September 25th of 2016. And what's the address of the Kickstarter right now Why we're on this?
2: All you have to do is go to www.the-mula.com.
0: Oh, very cool. Listeners, go check that out. It is a beautiful, beautiful bag. And so, Scott, let's transition as I'm looking at this leather here. We talked a little bit before we started our interview about your local production and your local sourcing and there's many, many listeners who may not know about some of the toxic things that happen when you don't do things locally and the benefits of doing it locally. Would you mind helping us all understand that a little bit more?
2: Absolutely. I mean, for me, once I found out about the incubator you know it was just a few months into that that I found out that president of the Detroit Garment Group had started a cut and sew facility right here in Pontiac and it's called Detroit Sewn. I had wanted to get something in production and when my partner on this he said you know Scott I don't see you sewing all these bags and so we reached out to Karen Bashemi at the Detroit Sewn and they don't do leather goods but they were happy to take on the denim and the canvas version and then we found a company called Trims Unlimited, and they're actually in Imlay City, but they do mostly automotive interiors, and they do some stuff for the military. And this is actually their sample. This is one of the few things that I have on me that I didn't make. This was their production sample that they made to show us their quality of work, and we're super happy with them. So they're local here. I've never produced anything overseas, even when I lived in Los Angeles. My manufacturer was downtown, and you know, as far as me being able to kind of oversee production and be involved, it just I don't see how to do it abroad. I just want to do it here, and that's been a big push in this city. Detroit Bikes, you know, is another great story. Just making their bikes here, but then also they just caught the attention of City Bike in New York. They're making their bikes for them. They just got a big contract. So I'm happy to be a part of the Made Local movement here. That was really important to us. So that's one ingredient to our price point being a little higher this time because we are committed to that. So you are paying for that as well.
0: Let's stay on that for a minute on this local thing. One of the questions that we get here a lot on the podcast and just generally to our company Gingrass Global is if you are an entrepreneur that's doing producing either a service or a product that I would call very boutique or very unique, while there's always a pressure to you know grand scale it and just scale and manufacture it in mass production, that's what I was looking for sometimes that's not always the best thing for your company. And we have a lot of entrepreneurs that write in and say, gosh, I've got a product that maybe two or three people I could oversee, or maybe up to 10. But beyond that, I'd feel uncomfortable that I couldn't control the quality. And that's a legitimate issue for some entrepreneurs. But there's been, if we look in history, there's been an enormous amount of unique product designers and manufacturers that have stayed relatively small and kept quality very high, there's this lie out there that you have to go to scale or mass produce to be good, and that's not true. Could you comment on that a little bit?
2: I mean, this is my introduction into crowdfunding as well, and we've done it because it's it's really difficult to walk in to a bank and typically... The small business loans are more than I need and then they want a certain percentage down. And so I've never had the funds to do anything on that large of a scale. And this is still, I think Detroit zone has 12 to 13 sewers and Trims Unlimited has 25 on the floor. You know, so these aren't mess. It's still a small environment, still easily to oversee it and stay on top of it. But I mean as much as I could see the application going in a lot of directions and a lot of people wearing it, it's still gonna be a pretty high quality, small scale thing until people hear this podcast.
0: <laughs> right. Right. We we thank our listeners. Our your listeners are so loyal and we've you've been supporting us for so long. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean we hope that you listeners go and take a look at these bags. They're incredible. And just know that all the, Scott's touching all the hands of the on these. He's designing these and he's making sure the quality's there. Alright, so let's kinda leave that for a minute. I got a really cool boutique, high functioning item that should appeal to a lot of us engineer types. <laughs> we like that. Yeah. Let's move to other things that like what would be the grand plans of this of left-handed brand or this particular product. If you just let yourself dream big, what would that look
2: like? You know, being back here and in- there have been a lot of opportunities for brick and mortars to start. And I guess that's been the other thing about living in really expensive cities. I've had an online store, lefthandedbranded.com, for a couple years now since I've been back. And this is probably the first city where I've thought of having a brick and mortar. So I think the longer I stay here, I think I would like to think about a showroom slash, you know, store here. That's one thing. And then also, you know, just make it easier for fitting clients and everything. My studio is the second floor of my house right now so I think it would be a benefit to getting out and being, you know, having a presence in the neighborhood. I'm in Hamtramck so I would want to do it there, I think.
0: There's some other sewers there in Pontiac. There's people needing employment everywhere, isn't there?
2: Yeah. I definitely would like to think that we can create some jobs with this, and a retail store would would do that as well.
0: Yeah. Now, are you looking for any other kinds of funding other than pre-purchasing of the bags? Are you looking for any equipment or any kind of investment funding?
2: I would always say yes to that. (laughs) (laughs) I've applied for a few things. I just applied for any ideas. I did not get it this year. I am seeking it. There's a couple machines that would be beneficial to me right now. But no, I think our reason for trying Kickstarter is we really wanted the orders, and we wanted to basically have a fan base and an actual you know, product with orders when we started. And it's been a challenge because I haven't been on social media very long. It's really hard to get outside your mailing list, but the response has been really good. So yeah. we still have time if you want to check
1: it out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Heck yeah. And I didn't mean to throw you with that question. I'm a firm believer the very best investor is always a customer, right? That's That's true. a 101 of business. Well, how would they reach you? Would you mind giving us your websites and your social media like Twitter, Instagram, and yep. such?
2: So the website is, for the Kickstarter campaign, is www.themula.com. And my clothing website is Left handed branded.com and it's left hyphen branded, left hyphen handed And then at left handed branded on Instagram, at left handed brand on Twitter, and left handed branded on Pinterest. So we're on all of them.
0: Well, oh, very good. Thank you so much for being on the show here and driving up here to Pontiac.
2: <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Thanks yeah. again.
0: I want to thank Scott again for his time and candor. I slipped out of the market while all of the bicyclists gathered around. I'll have to circle back and see if he made any sales. (laughs) So before I send you off to our closing song, I'd like to encourage anyone who is in an inventing and creating stage of their social enterprise, Well, it's always important to be observing your customers' needs, sometimes the best ideas come from our own needs. Scott is such a great example of this. His products are completely designed to be solutions for functional issues that people encounter. I think we often think that the product or service has to be, I don't know, beautiful, or as some would say, sexy first, but that's not really so. If you take a look throughout history, most of the longer lasting inventions began out of a need that someone was trying to solve, a functional solution first. If you're out there in the functional land, stay at it. We need creative functional solutions just as much as good looking ones. Just remember, we want it to solve something for us first, and then you can put the bow on it. Alrighty then, let's close this out with another great artist curated by Detroit's Assemble Sound. You've heard this artist before. They are a fan favorite. Here's J.R.J.R. with their song, James Dean.